Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to the Forum. Welcome everyone to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. I want to do a shout out to our donors, and today I want to honor Howard, who was a guest on the Spiritual Forum a few months ago, and really grateful for your donation. Howard, at this point in time, this is a 100% donation ministry, and the Spiritual Forum is a prayer, podcast, and retreat ministry. So please go to thespiritualforum.org to learn more about all the stuff that I'm doing, including the retreat this October 19th through the 22nd at Unity Village. Let me introduce my guest today. Pierre Pradevand is a true world citizen, having labored most of his life for social justice. Raised in London during World War II, he studied at the University of Geneva, the University of Bern, and the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, before receiving a doctorate in sociology from Sorbonne University in Paris. Among his varied work experiences, he had a brief stint in the United Nations and Geneva. He worked as a demographer, running a nationwide survey on population issues in Algeria. He worked for the American Friends Service Committee in Senegal, and he started a periodical but became a best-selling magazine in sub-Saharan French-speaking Africa. All right, that's a lot, but that's not all. Pierre has led workshops on personal development and spirituality for 30 years. He's the author of 22 books, including The Gentle Art of Blessing. And today we're going to be talking much about his most recent book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. Welcome, Pierre. Hello there. It's so great to have you today on this podcast. I've been looking forward to this. A great joy for me, really, really. Yeah, and you are in Geneva right now, Geneva, Switzerland? Exactly, yes. And is it a beautiful day there like it is here in, Lake, in Wisconsin? It's a bit cloudy. We okay. had basically very beautiful weather for weeks and weeks, but today it's just a little cloudy. Okay, well, that's got its own beauty, doesn't it? Exactly, everything. Nature <laughs> everything. is perfect. It is. It is. She arises however she arises. And if we just notice it and take in the beauty and, and just the wonder exactly. of it all, yeah, we can all have a good day every day. I've been in, in my life, my career, I've been in over 40 countries of the five continents, either working there, traveling there, living there, studying there. And I feel so privileged to have had such a rich life. And everywhere I am amazed and at my knees in front of the the incredible spirit that created this unbelievable nature that surrounds us the whole time and every day in in admiration just a little bit of moss on the ground is something so extraordinary i completely agree i i live i'm very fortunate i live in the country in wisconsin it's about two two and a half hours from chicago we left the city life and Right now, where we live, we got bunnies everywhere, and deer, and geese, and sandhill cranes, and also the little creatures, the little wasps, the little ants, they're everywhere. And it, it is, it is absolutely amazing, the perfection in every creature, every blade of grass, every tree, everything. So I'm wondering if you could fill in a little bit of the gaps, if you want to share a little bit about your spiritual journey. I kind of listed some of your work experiences, and you're definitely a prolific author and workshop leader. And am I, am I correct in hearing that you're nearly 86 years old? Is that true? I'm exactly 86 years old. You're exactly 86. And with 86 years behind you and however many there are in front of you, you're definitely living life to the fullest. And oh, I'm so privileged every day, every day I say thank you to the universe. Yes, I agree. I wake up, the first thing I say is thank you, God, for my life. Thank you, God, for my life and the beauty of life. And something wonderful always, always arises when you have that kind of blessing attitude. I wake with a verse from the psalm, which I say every morning, this is the day which the Lord hath made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. It's a great way to start the day. Can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey, how you yes. kind of came to where that your realization of the beauty of life today? Yes. 
well, I was brought up in a very traditional Presbyterian family. My father was a minister, and then later he occupied worldwide functions in the ecumenical movement, which was in, very important because he traveled all over the world. And he every single day, he would write a letter home. And I had some very powerful experiences. And I remember the day that was in the late 50s or early 60s, he visited a very poor section of Mexico City. And he said, in this section of the city, no girl above 12 is a virgin anymore. In other words, they prostituted themselves. Oh my. And suddenly I realized how incredibly privileged I was to live in a little suburban, neat little suburban with no worries for anything. And that, that day changed something in my life. And I've become, having traveled all around the world, lived five years in Dakar, Senegal, between two shanty towns. When I say between, it's about 100, 150 yards, of the children of which sometimes rummaged in my garbage can. And when you've lived that for five years, and I, I had very close contacts, I started a discussion group with a group of young men from one of the shanty towns. You can never forget it. You can never forget how incredibly privileged you are. And I live an extremely simple life, but uh, I'm always aware every day that I am ultra-privileged. And the call is, Pierre, how do you share your privilege? So I was brought up in, a, as I said, a traditional Christian family. And then in my early 20s, I, I, after two years theology, I, I went into a completely different direction. And uh, in Bern, I discovered a, a no, it was in at the University of Michigan, in Ann Arbor, I discovered a spiritual teaching, which was very powerful in terms of healing. And I, I'd been raised as a hypochondriac. I run, run to the doctors for the slightest little ailment. And then for 30 years, I lived without traditional medicine, just healing myself. And this includes 12 years in Africa, where I was in rural areas, eating food and especially drinking water that would have made any MD here tremble. And I never had a problem. But there was a lack of love in this movement. And in the early of this century, the early 2000s, I, I just left it because I've had a very, very powerful I've had two mystical experiences that I'd like to share with the, the grounding of my spiritual life. An authentic mystical experience is something very powerful because it is a kind of knowledge that is totally, totally different from normal mind-based intellectual knowledge. In an, an authentic mystical experience, the, the, the truth is felt. It is a feeling not a thought. And I remember the first mystical experience I had, I was coming back from, flying back from Africa, where I belonged. I was one of the founders of uh, what was at the time the largest grassroots peasant farmer movement in the whole of Africa. It was based in Sahel. And I was came back from the General Assembly, and I'd caught dysentery the last day, and I worked spiritually to to overcome it, I didn't take any drugs. And in the evening, it was it calmed down, and I thought it disappeared. But the next morning, in the in going to the airport, it started all over. And on the plane, I was working with my mantras, my spiritual affirmations, texts, and prayers to get rid of this problem. And I was sitting next to a little unaccompanied boy, and the stewardess taking care of him was so kind. She was the essence of kindness and gentleness. I, I, you would have thought she, she was his mother. And one day, one moment, she came and spoke to him with very special gentleness. And I felt for this woman suddenly a cosmic gratitude. And then I was thrown out of the out of the plane, what you call a, an out-of-body experience, into a space. There was absolutely nothing else but love. Love was the only 
feelings, law, presence, power, everything was love. My little ego had disappeared completely. The mind thinking had disappeared. All was in the heart. And I felt love as the basic structure of the universe. And then suddenly I was back in my seat in the plane. In a matter of seconds, the dysentery disappeared. But of course, the important thing was this vision. And the second mystical experience I had was about two years ago, very recently. I study an American mystic of the last century, Joel Goldsmith. And he, he really speaks to me. He has a non-dual vision of reality, which is very powerful. And he spoke one of his books called The Art of Spiritual Healing, which I've read four times. This man received constant calls, over 100 per day, from people asking for, for healings of all sorts. And he says that one day he, he'd received 35 calls for healing, and he arrived at noon. And for the first time ever, he had no appointments between noon and one o'clock. And he said, well, this is strange. This has never happened before. This is God's making. And he said, well, I took that as a sign that I should plunge into silence. And for one hour, he was deep into this divine silence. And then he came out of it an hour later. And in the following hours, all the people who'd asked him for, for help requested, reported that they'd had a healing. And I thought, I would love to experience, to have a similar experience. And I thought, I just, I just asked the universe to help me, to guide me to this silence. And I was in my, in my room, on my couch, where I usually do my meditation. And suddenly, I was taken into a space which was pure paradise, just beauty, light, colors, the most incredible peace. And I don't know how long I stayed there because these mystical experiences were always totally out of time. There was no ego left, no Pierre Pradovan. It was just this feeling of incredible peace and that all is well. And that has stayed with me since. Those two experiences are the basis of my spiritual life. And I have a little ditto. I repeat very often, Creator, Bless my mind, that I may think only thoughts of love. Bless my ear, my ears, that all I hear, all I listen, is listened to with love. Bless my eyes, that I may see all with love. Bless my lips, that every word that comes from them is a word of love. Bless my heart, that I may give and receive love. Bless my hands, that all I do is done with love and bless my feet that I may walk with peace and love upon this earth. That is a summary of my theology. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And I love your two stories because I, I think it shows that, it, um, especially the first one, the, it, it doesn't have to be this fantastical, you know, the, oh, the, 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 the skies part and you hear the word of God oh. and... <laughs> be as simple as the love of a flight attendant and just really experiencing that and that completely opening up your own consciousness and your own heart. Exactly. Yeah. I I love that. I love that so much because I think people on the spiritual path are often waiting for that big thing. Like, like when is God going to talk to me? And it's like a prescription in their mind how it should look. And and so they're looking for that instead of just the simpleness in front of them. Simplicity is a very important word in my life. I have been living simply for 50 years. And I mean, really, basically, I don't have a car. I don't have television. I eat very simply. I hardly ever buy things. And I've written two books, the first two books published in French in Europe on simple living. And I had a very... I had, a, I had an important fortune in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I all gave away because I don't need it. I have a, I have a modest 
modest, what you call, pension and a few savings. And I'm totally happy. I don't need things to be happy. On the contrary, the less things I have, the happier I am. That's beautiful. I, I uh, re- regarding the second story about Joel Goldsmith, you know, it's so interesting. I've done a little bit of research on him because it says, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find him in your own way because it sounds like he was a spiritual teacher, but didn't want to create any structures around it. Didn't want to create any, anything like official that would in, end up being some sort of hierarchy or controlling organization. And but his teachings remind me, you know, I'm a, I'm a unity minister. I don't know if you know much about unity. I know that in your book, you quote Mary Baker Eddy a few times. And, yes. and, and, and unity is also part of new thought, which I think Joel Go, Goldsmith's work is also kind of considered new thought. And they're based, they have, basically, they have the same philosophical and theological premises I think about God and the divine within us, but I believe Joel was like 35 years younger or so than Charles Fillmore. Are you familiar with Unity at all? I, you know, very, very vaguely, but I, I haven't studied. Yeah. I think you'll find a lot of similarities. Yeah. I think you'll find a lot of similarities, except that Unity did create a structure. They, you know, and, and, and that in itself, I think originally it was like a movement, a spiritual movement, and it was a spiritual healing movement. And it was really centered on prayer and entering the silence and, and, and kind of teaching people to do that. And then, and then the people kind of clamored for, let's make a church, let's make a church. <laughs> and, the, and then they ended up kind of making a church. And so now there's unity churches. But I think that unity was at its strongest point when it was a message and when it was and not not didn't have the structures around it and and that people could kind of find it on its own, like it sounds like Joel Goldsmith did with his teachings. I want to talk a little bit about the the book that that Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. I was really attracted to that because I think discernment is something that I don't want to say it's missing because I don't think it's missing. I think we all have it, but I don't think we all access it. And there's so many people who are, you know, is that my ego? Is that God? Is the universe? Who's, what is that? Which, what should I do? Which direction should I take? What's the right path? And, and so I was very attracted to the title, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment, because I think it's something that's really up for all of us of what's happening in the world now, probably always has been up for all of us. But you start off your book by talking about integrity. And I just thought that was, I was hooked. Integrity is maybe the most fundamental step for any person embarking on a spiritual path, is what you write in the in the very first chapter. And to deceive oneself kills the discernment that is the basis of honest judgments and meaningful choices. Can you talk a little bit about integrity and you also talk about how we need to be our own authorities. Can you share a little bit about your thoughts on those? Yes, with, with great pleasure. I think, for me, integrity is a basic quality needed to live well with love. You know, love can become mushy-mushy with some people. And so at every single moment, you be totally aligned with your highest sense of what is right. And it's more and more necessary in this world of incredible confusion. That's why I love the word discernment in the title of the book. Byron Katie, whom I've admired immensely, you know, she was one of the leaders of the self-development movement in the States for many, many years. She made a comment that has influenced my whole life. I read it about 30, 35 years ago. She says the number one problem in the world is not war or hunger or dissent, or it is confusion. And I so agree with her. I could speak to you for hours on this topic because we live, and still much more since we have internet, in a world with so many opinions on, so, on practically every topic, you can find 50 different opinions. I've been, you know, I've worked in the field of public health for seven years in Africa and especially in the field of medicine today. You have so many different opinions 
by different authorities. This came out very strongly during the COVID thing when the official point of view was have your vaccine straight away, have it, and other points of view which, which pointed in different directions. As a matter of fact, my wife had a lovely, lovely daughter. She was in her 50s. She had two beautiful children. She was fully active, working. And just after her vaccination, she passed on. And there was just absolutely no reason whatsoever. And so we all believe in the family that that was due to the vaccination. But how do you find your own point of view? That's why discernment is so, so important. And right discernment has to be based on your personal integrity, on your highest sense of what is right and true for you, not for the preacher or the doctor or the state official, what is right for you. Well, I'd like to say a little bit about that, my own personal experience with that. I know that during the COVID years, I I, I was really shocked about how much people just really listened to and responded to specific authorities and discarded others. And I remember I was on a Facebook group page of unity ministers. So these would be my peers. And, and one of the ministers posted, you know, I, I think that we should stand up as ministers and, and encourage everyone to get the vaccination. Everyone needs to get this. And my comment to her was, oh. I said, I think as ministers, my role is to guide people to go within and use their own discernment That's and listen. And listen to the, the guidance of, of their own soul and their own divine nature and make their own decision. And that was not popular at all. I was a very unpopular person on that on oh. that on that post. But so so I'm really I'm really intrigued that you you share that story because I don't think we can judge for anybody what the right decision is for them medically or any otherwise. I I had the vaccination because I've been visiting a former death row inmate in Texas, an, an African-American who was accused absolutely falsely. And I got him off death row. And I visit him every single year, with two exceptions. One was the COVID uh, year, and the other when I had to go to hospital at the last minute. And Roger is an amazing man. I've published two books on him, which have had an incredible impact the world over. So I visit him every year. He's become really a, a soul brother. And the only way I could visit him was to have the vaccinations. But I've decided that I'm not going to have any more of these things, whatever. Even if I had to, I wouldn't go to prison, but I mean, I had a very heavy fine or whatever. There's no way I can be forced to, to submit to this. I have a scientific training to the level of doctorate. And I have a great belief in the integrity of the scientific method. And I have not read anything that can prove to me with total scientific integrity that vaccine is really the remedy. Everyone has to be her or his own teacher and take the decision that is right for them. I think that's a wonderful statement. You know, we each have our own path and we don't know, we don't know what, what is best for another, but we, we can know what's best for us. You've discerned for yourself. I discern for myself. And then we make decisions in alignment with, you know, what our own, our own guidance is telling us and trusting that, you know, the universe works out as it does. My path is laid before me and I am in integrity when I make my own choices versus giving up my, all the authority to an, an external person. So I think it's a really, really, really important message, especially today when there's so many authorities out there telling people what to do and when there's so much silencing of others so that we can't hear other sides. 
But I'd like to talk a little bit about Roger McGowan. Is that the way you pronounce his name? Yeah, I, 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 I know that you're very, very connected to him and his story, and you talk about it some in your book. But I'd like to know more about that and how you found him and what you've learned from him. Oh, I've, our relationship is something extraordinary. In 1996, I was contacted by a woman in, in Zurich. He was on death row. Uh, and he just received, I think it was 96, he just received, received a date of execution for 97. And she'd been corresponding for years with this man and knew how extraordinary he was. And she panicked and she started contacting her friends to, to get some money to hire a lawyer. And a friend in Zurich told her, you have to contact Pierre Pradovan in Geneva. And for me, this was providence. I'd never had anything to do with the death penalty whatsoever. But I, I gave a few thousand dollars as other people, and she hired a lawyer who was able to cancel the date of execution, but not the death penalty. And then Roger and I started corresponding regularly. And his letters were so amazing. I decided to publish them first in French. Uh, and I have a, a fabulous publisher, but this was far out. He was in the field of New Age health, New Age spirituality, and things like that. So Death Row, Texas, was uh, a million light years away from what he published. But he, he saw the value of the book, and he published it. And people started sending money. One woman in Zurich, who just made an inheritance, sent me $50,000 just from reading that book. And so I was able to hire the services of a, a good lawyer who I hired the lawyer in 2006 and 2018. He was able to get him off death row. He's still in prison, but he has no more death sentence hanging, hanging around, his, around his neck. And he's become, he's transforming. He's now in a, in a, prison in a small city in in Texas. I've forgotten the name of the, 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 the city. It's, I think, the only city in the world where there are more prisoners in the city than inhabitants in the city. There are so many prisons in, in that little city. And he's changing completely the mentality of the prison in which he is a prisoner of 2,200 prisoners. But his, in, the impact of his life book is really worldwide. And I'll give you a concrete example. There's a prison in Thailand, Southeast Asia, called the Bangkwang Central Prison. It's the worst prison in Thailand. It's just horrendous. And uh, a Cameroonian uh, inmate who'd been cornered for a crime, he says, he never committed, had been imprisoned for life. And he found Roger's book in French in the library of the prison. Now, explain to me, Carol, how this book in French on an American inmate can arrive in Bangkwang Central Prison. And not only that, I don't know how he was able to find my address because they don't have any internet, but he did. And I shared this, this story. Oh, what I have uh, haven't said the most important. This Cameroonian prisoner was at the bottom of the deepest depression, as you might imagine. And reading Roger's book totally lifted him out of this depression. And he wrote me an enthusiastic, beautiful letter. I started sharing in, I, especially one meeting, I was asked to talk on Roger. And I shared this experience, the impact of his book. And a group of well-to-do ladies in Geneva started corresponding with him. And to make a long story short, this Cameroonian prison has been released. And he's now back in Cameroon, thanks to one of these ladies in Geneva who has quite a comfortable income. So the impact of this book, and I could tell you so many stories, the impact of this book is just literally worldwide. And Roger is a, an amazing, amazing brother. We have developed a relationship 
since 1997 when we started corresponding, which is just absolutely special. Wow. So he's he's off death row now? Yes. But he's but still he's in prison. In, he's in Win Unit in Huntsville. It's Huntsville. Oh, Isn't Huntsville. It? Yes, I know Huntsville. I lived in Texas for 20 years. I'm very familiar wow. with Huntsville. Yeah. Okay. So, but he but he hasn't he's still in prison. He hasn't it is he hasn't been exonerated of the charges. Yet, but he wrote me an extraordinary letter. No, he wrote to a friend a few years ago. I'm at my right place. This is after 25 years in, in jail for a crime he never committed. I'm at my right place for the work that God wants me to do. And the day he feels this is finished, this work is finished, he will get me out of here. I'm really... Yes, that's so true. And that's so true. It's, it's the fighting of the circumstances that causes us to suffer. You know, so it's like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. This is wrong. But if he sounds like he's turned it around to this is exactly where God wants me to be. And he's doing holy work there. But Carol, that is amazing. Yes. It Completely. Is really just incredible. <laughs> By the way, the book exists in English. You can find it on the internet. Messages of Life from Death Row. Messages okay. of Life from Death Row by Roger McGowan, M-C-G-O-W-E-N, and Pierre Pradevac. Okay, and I'll have that included with all the other links on this podcast page because I'm sure people will be really interested. And in, I, you know, this podcast is largely about stories of redemption and transformation and transmutation and healing. Okay. And because I really think that's where all of our hope is and our awakening and our inspiration to really rise up to the divine nature that we were all intended to express here on this planet. Absolutely, Carol. Totally agree. Totally agree with you. So let's look more some more things that I saw in your book. You said you, you listed qualities necessary for the spiritual path. And I thought these were really interesting. I really honestly haven't thought about what are all the qualities that are necessary for the path, because the path is not an easy one. Anyone who steps on, actually, I think we're all on the spiritual path, just not all of us know it. But when you're exactly. aware of it, <laughs> when you're aware of it, you you run up against some, some challenges. And you listed these qualities as a strong intention, a sincere motive, perseverance, a total consecration, discernment, and discipline. And you tell a few stories in there about perseverance and, and intention. And do you have anything that you'd like to, to share about perseverance or any of those qualities? Well, when you look at history and many great achievements, they were only achieved thanks to great perseverance. And I think that's a, a fundamental quality, which is not tooted in our present society. Our present society wants to claim that everything's easy, you know, and you have so many, so many courses or things supposed to make your life easier. Well, when you live from the heart in the incredibly troubled, troubled world we live in, life is not easy. I have an extraordinary wife with the greatest inspiration in my life, and at 83, she runs a foundation, Women's World Summit Foundation, www.women.ch. And she's running a program, and it's been very tough going for 30 years because foundations on women's issues and simple human issues do not easily get funds. She's created a unique prize in the world, a prize for the creativity of women in rural life. Women in rural life in the third world, you know, most of the, or it's a great deal of the rural work, of the field work is done by, by women. And they, I've lived again for 12 years in Africa. And the resilience and strength of the African women is something that is just absolutely astonishing to me, absolutely astonishing. So she created this prize for the creativity of rural women. 
that has been given to in France for 20, 25 years to over 500 women in something like 120 countries. And these are poor women working in rural areas, but who've achieved something ra rather remarkable. And that's just one program she has. She's just launched a second program called 75%, because she's calculated, and I was stunned, stunned, that nobody had ever calculated this before. I've worked in the field of statistics professionally at the World Health Organization. She calculated that women, the young and children, constitute 75% of the world's population, and they have practically nothing to say in running the world. And so she's trying to, you know, shake up people to come to grips with it, and that basically our present world is still run by a few hundred men getting on in age, or well, something has to change. Do you have hope? Do you have hope for the world? I have hope, but my hope is not by looking at present developments in the world. I believe there is a, a divine providence that governs everything, including the challenges we meet. And we are going to meet huge challenges, not only environmental challenges, just absolutely immense, but also human challenges. I wrote about eight months ago, one of my circular letters, and it's just called 30 million. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees has calculated that in the coming years, 30 million Africans could seek refuge in Europe. Are we going to receive them with open arms or with machine guns? That is a very, very real question. I think the other question is also what what can what can transform in those nations so that they want to stay in their homeland. You know, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be anti-immigrant, but I'm like, I think everybody wants to stay in their homeland if they can, because this is where their, their lineage is and, you know, their, their ancestors and all, but like, what, what, what can, what can happen, transform in, in people's homes so that they want to, want to well, live there? Take the case of Somalia. Most people don't even know that Somalia is in the Horn of Africa, north of, northeast of Ethiopia. And this is a country where close to a million people are on the verge of starvation because they haven't had a good rain in five years, Carol. Mm -hmm. This is a, a dry, tropical country. Great part of the country is desert-like. So can you imagine what it means? not to have had a good rain mm -hmm, for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, And we don't even know about this. It's, it's Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's true. Problem, but that's not the only problem in the world. And I'm so concerned because I still have warm relationships in the Sahel with the situation of these people. And, you know, when you think of it, we, we exploited Africa to the hill. Mm -hmm. At least the, the conservative figure, 10 million Africans were exported to the Americas as slaves, 10 million. And probably another 10 million died from going from their village to the coast. And we've exploited the natural resources of Africa for centuries without paying one penny to the African country. We must have used up hundreds of millions of dollars, billions, no, billions of dollars of African natural resources. Well, maybe we have a debt towards Africa. And I yeah. think we have a very heavy debt towards Africa. Yeah, and we're we, still there. We're mining mining materials for our cell phones and, you know, yeah, we're, exactly. <laughs> we're and still doing the, this. In Rwanda, I mean, there are kids, seven year old, seven, eight year old kids working in the mm -hmm. mines, just as in Bolivia. And so we live our comfort. We forget, simply because most people 
in our country is not, not even informed that our comfort is based on the discomfort of a great part of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I do agree. We our, our media has us turn our attention to what they want us to see, and, and we just assume that nothing else really exists. So it's COVID, it's Ukraine, it's, you know, what, whatever the shiny orb of the moment is, we, we're all in that. And there's so much more going on. I think you raise a really, really good point of the debt that the Western world has to Africa. And in your book, you say, for me, the number one reason of our temporary sojourn on earth is simply to grow in love. Exactly. Exactly, Carol. And, and here's a place where we can grow in love, whether you're the, the flight attendant on an airplane attending to a little boy or awakening to the plight of the African nations and, and what we've done to them. Or um, if you're in the States, just becoming a prison visitor. Mm -hmm. I was a prison visitor for close to 20 years in the local prison and developed some extraordinary relationships. Do you know how you go about doing that? I, I, I'm really intrigued by that. I've always been kind of intrigued in my mind. I, it's probably my heart. I've always kind of wondered about prison ministry. And my assumption has been that, you know, you have to be Presbyterian or Catholic or some of those mainstream religions to do that. Well, you see, the situation in the States is so different. Wouldn't dare suggest anything for the United States. Well, I know that for in in Geneva, it was very easy. It was the it was the the, the, the how do you say the, the the two ministers, Catholic and Protestant, functioning as the as the ministers of the prison who organized a little group of people who wanted to contact prisoners, inmates, and the inmates were so thirsty for this kind of contact as you can imagine, and I had some. Amazing experience. I still remember a young man from Kosovo. He was so, we had developed such a relationship. And I think he said, he told me the most beautiful thing that's ever been told to me in my life. He said, You know, Pierre, it was worth coming to prison just to meet you. Mm. Gosh. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, that, that statement, and he was released. From from prison for a weekend, they had when he when they had very good contact, they could be released for a weekend, and he never came back. And both the the minister who brought me to the prison and myself, we are both convinced he was killed by the drug wing that he oh. sold in the, in the in the tribunal. He was asked for description of the head of the ring, and and we believe that. They heard of this, and that they killed him while he was on his weekend. Oh my! But what a what an honor that it must have been for you to connect with this man and have him say it was worth coming to prison to meet you. And this is the most moving statement I've ever heard yeah. in my life, Carolyn. I think what I'd like to do is we've got another ten minutes or so. I'd like to talk about the the spiritual practices pause prayer practicing the presence and blessing and i know you've written a whole book on blessing and yes. i think that would be a wonderful thing to bless our listening audience about to learn about this art of blessing well it's become such a a joyful practice but not only for me for thousands all around the world i i wrote a text which is in in the book, the gentle in my book, the gentle art of blessing, there's a one and a half page text on blessing, which just came to me. I'd been the victim of a huge injustice, which forced me to quit my job, and I felt that there was one man who just hated my guts because he was a, a militant atheist, and I once told him I got up at four thirty in the morning to meditate. And he thought, well, so a guy like that, we can't keep him in our organization. And he organized the whole setup for me to be to be fired. Well, I had to choose between staying in the organization and accepting something highly unethical or leaving. And they knew that I would leave, which I did. And for months, I felt such resentment against this man. 
it was tearing my guts, tearing my guts out. And I was praying about this, nothing. And then one day, just a little voice, Pierre, just bless him. After all, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. But he had cursed me. And I started blessing him. And one day I was in the reading, uh, meditating. And this one page text on blessing just flowed. It was literally, Carol, dictated to me. I didn't write it. It was dictated. And the impact it's had in many languages all around the world shows to me that it was a deeply inspired text, which has had powerful healing impact all around the world. So that's how the text was born. Now, now what, can you repeat your question? Well, I, I just, it's, it's a spiritual practice that you share. And I, I'd like for people to learn what the power of blessing and, and what it is that, how we could use this. So it sounds like in your story, you had built up a resentment. And, and, and I think many of us have resentments. And the antidote to that, because it was festering within you, and that just kind of destroys your own self. And so you receive this message to bless him. And what is that? What is that exactly? What? How would we use that? How would you advise the people who are listening now to use this art of blessing or the spiritual practice of blessing in their everyday life? Blessing means wanting the real good of the other person from the bottom of your heart. And it applies to any situation. I remember with a, an African friend, we'd, we'd requested the, the director of the largest college in Geneva to lend us a big hall for a, an evening of music. And all the funds were to go to this African organization supporting peasants in Africa. And the director said, well, you just arrange everything with the school caretaker. And I went to see the caretaker with my friend, and he was so aggressive and hostile. Really, aggressive and hostile when we asked him, you know, how can we organize this? And I, at first I felt anger, and my little voice said, Pierre, you're not going to solve this problem with anger. Just bless him. And so silently I started blessing him. And suddenly, literally between two sentences, a huge smile appeared on his, on his face. He went to his laboratory, brought us the, the good mics we needed, and wished us a wonderful evening. And it was a wonderful evening. And you can bless anyone, any situation I bless. I love blessing people in, in the bus. In Geneva, we have very long buses. And right in front of the bus, there are two seats facing all the other rows in the, in the bus. So the, the two seats face the back of the bus, and all the other rows face the front. And I love sitting there and just blessing people quietly. So any time you have an upset with a person, a problem, resentment, I suggest you start blessing. But please read one page. Text on blessing you'll find on internet under my name, and it is so simple. Even children can bless. I love that, it, and it's it's really putting your love in action on the planet, and it's so easy to do. It's not this big thing you have to do. Oh. Wherever you are, and I'm thinking now as you're talking about, I'm thinking about the times where something arises in me where I feel disconnected or angry or something isn't right, you know, <laughs> and, and I and I want to voice my view about that. But another thing I can do is just to just to bless them. But it sounds like it's not it's not just a statement from the head. It is finding in your heart that you legitimately want the best for that person, even if they are you know, the, the people who are dominating you, controlling you, hurting you, as Jesus said, you know, uh, you know, forgive, forgive everyone and, and, you know, bless everyone. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful practice. And it, it applies, I, about a year and a half ago, just before the Ukraine war started, I was in my silent, I have a moment silent every morning during my meditation, just being silent. And Literally, I received an order. I mean, an order. Love put in 
Uh. Boy, was I surprised. And I really worked hard on it for at least 10 days to the point where I got, I felt real love for the man. I could speak to him as my brother Vladimir and feel great warmth and love and just bless him. I bless him very often, almost daily in his wisdom. And so blessing applies to, I can't think of a situation to right. which it does not apply. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that and everything else you've shared today. Do you have any closing statements you might want to make? We've got another minute or two. If you have something that I, I didn't cover that you want to, to, to make known, it's, I'll give the floor to you. Well, as you are American and most of your auditors are Americans. My, my audience is worldwide, actually. One person I was still more, more challenging for me to love than Mr. Putin was Mr. Trump. And so I've been working very hard to love Mr. Trump, and I'm, I'm getting there. It's not easy because the spiritual path isn't a, an easy path. It's a demanding path, but it is such, such a satisfying path. And uh, I love a statement of Paul, the Apostle Paul, which is the center of my spiritual practice, bring every thought captive unto the Christ. And by Christ, I mean, I replace the word Christ by divine love. It mm -hmm. means the same thing. Bring every thought captive unto divine love. That is the basis of my spiritual practice, Karen. Just that one statement. And boy, is it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> no one said it was going to be easy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pierre, for sharing yourself and your wisdom and your life of 86 years. And I think I know there's so many things that my audience can take away as well as myself about just being love and, and, and blessing and lots of activities. We can become friends of prisoners and you know, really use our own discernment and, and, and release our, our reliance on authorities and, and listen to the still small voice within. All of that was in today's, today's lesson. So thank you so much, Pierre. I really appreciate your being with me today. You're so, so welcome. And by the way, how, how can I uh, send your 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 show a show to someone by internet can i send it to them by internet sure yeah when 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 it's published i'll send the links to you and and your publicists and all and and we would love to have it shared with with your community as well thank you so much carol i was just delighted to talk to you today it was an unceasing joy from the very first minute Thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you, Pierre. Bye, Thank you, all my listeners. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.